You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 103. Today's reading is from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter then came out with the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying and the napkin, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So our reading today, uh, we just heard a few days ago at Sunday Matins. And and so as we begin, uh, one quick detail that I'd like to confirm with you, Father, uh, regarding uh, what we just read in this gospel passage, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John himself, is that correct? Yeah, this disciple is, to my knowledge, pretty much universally considered to be St. John the Evangelist, which is also why he's often referred to, according to tradition, as St. John the Beloved. Okay, very good. So that's that's what I've always uh, been taught as well. But, but it, it raises another question I have. So why would John refer to himself in this way as the other disciple? Why not just name himself in the story directly? Yeah, this is a really good question. I think the reason is that John is using this terminology as a literary device. And what do you mean by that, Father? I know that you've referred many times to the gospel as being literature, or the authors using certain uh, literary devices. Why is that important, and can you explain a little bit more on that? Yeah, I'm glad you bring it up. I've, I've heard from some people that speaking about the Gospels as literature can make them a little uncomfortable, and I think the reason for this is because they hold the Gospels in such high regard that they think of the Gospels as a class unto themselves. But when we speak about the Gospel as literature, we're not saying that the Gospels aren't unique or special, nor are we saying they're not divinely inspired. You know, that's not the case at all. When we say that the Gospels are literature, It's really no different than saying that Jesus was a human being. It's in no way denigrating Jesus. It's simply noting that Jesus was human, and furthermore, that because he was fully human, there are certain implications from that. It doesn't take away from the fact that he was fully divine as well. And the same is true with the Gospels. It's not denigrating to say that they're literature. It's just stating a fact that God chose to reveal himself through this very special type of literature, and that also has implications. And Father, what are some of those implications? Yeah, so I think the main implication is that to best understand Scripture and therefore to understand God, we have to be open to understanding how literature, especially at the time of the Gospels, functioned so that we can better understand what's going on in the story. Now, in the case of today's Gospel, there is one simple explanation, and that is that it was common at the time of the Gospels for authors to write themselves into the story. We see this, for example, in the Gospel of Mark. 
there's this mention of the young man who appears at the betrayal of Jesus, and he's naked and fleeing. And then again, this young man appears clothed and in his right mind, announcing the resurrection. So many commenters uh, consider this to be Mark himself being written into the story, and that's what John is doing in today's reading. But I do also want to highlight is that there's this sort of anonymity, even though I think we all know it's John, but writing in this way allows the reader to insert themselves into the story, and that's what good literature does. You think about reading a really good book, you start to see yourself identifying with a character or perhaps multiple characters. And in today's reading, we should uh, want to identify with this disciple whom Jesus loved and who is not specifically named. And why do you say that, uh, that, that we should want to identify with this disciple whom Jesus loved? Well, because you can see the difference in the story between him and Simon Peter, not only in his zealousness in reaching the empty tomb, but in the fact that unlike Simon Peter, who just came to the tomb and was a witness, what is said about the beloved disciple is that he saw and believed. So the fact that he not only saw, but, he, but that he saw and believed is important. We can all see various sorts of things. Even some people have seen miracles, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe, that they put their full trust in God. So we should desire to be like this beloved disciple and believe, put our trust in this crucified and resurrected Messiah. Very good. I appreciate the explanation. Uh, So that leads me to another question uh, that I had about the passage, specifically in verse 9, right after we hear that John saw and believed, we read, quote, For as yet they did not know the scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. So I'm a, I'm a little confused here, Father. Why would Peter and John have been ignorant of Psalm 15 in this case that spoke of Christ rising from the dead? Yeah, so I, I don't think it's a matter of ignorance of any of the scriptures, which they almost certainly knew, at least in terms of the words that were said in scripture. But what they didn't understand is beyond that surface level. And what I mean by that is, again, they likely knew the words, they had them memorized, but they did not connect together how these words applied to Jesus himself. And, and why do you think that's so? Because Jesus was not what the people predicted, nor even what they wanted in a Messiah. You know, we've been through this many times on our episodes, but I think it bears repeating because it's so integral to understanding the New Testament. The Jews of Jesus' time, including the disciples, were looking for a Messiah who would be a military leader, who would revolt against the Roman Empire, who would throw the Romans out of Jerusalem and Judea, so that the Jews would be able to rule that area instead. So with this in mind, I think you can understand how the disciples are said to have not understood the scriptures as it relates to Jesus. They're expecting this powerful military leader. So how could Jesus be the Messiah? How could it be that this man who was crucified, which of course Paul notes is a curse according to the Mosaic law, how could this cursed and crucified, humiliated, dead person be the Messiah? It was just beyond their comprehension that it could be him, that it could be this Jesus who refused to take up arms and fight against his betrayal and being taken by the Roman guards, even going so far as we hear in one of the Gospels to heal the ear that had been cut off of one of the soldiers. That makes a lot of sense. Very helpful, Father. Before moving on to my last question, I think it's important to point out what you've often highlighted in the past about Jesus and the Romans. And as you just highlighted, Jesus was not a military leader, but what he did instead was to provide a path 
towards reconciliation between the Jews and the Romans Mm -hmm. and all the Gentiles. What Jesus did was to allow the Romans to be brought into the covenant community to be full participants in that community with the Jews. So Jesus didn't throw off the Romans by using the sword, but instead by making them brothers and sisters with the Jews instead of of making them enemies. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. That's a great point. Thank you for reminding our listeners of this important detail. Uh, So one more question for you, Father. Uh, There is a very specific detail in today's reading that mentions the napkin that had been on Jesus' head. It says, quote, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. So I'm assuming that there's some significance to this detail. Yeah, there is. I'm glad you noticed this terminology. I think a lot of people miss that. And what's going on here relates to an ancient custom at banquets or large dinners. If you were a guest and you needed to get up during the meal to use the restroom or to freshen up and you intended to return to the table, then you would roll up or fold nicely your napkin. This was indicative of your intent to return to the table, noting that you were not yet finished Now, if you were finished, you would just throw your napkin up on the table, not rolled or folded, and then everyone knew you were finished, that you were not planning to return. And frankly, and not only is this an ancient custom, I think a lot of people just sort of naturally do that even when they're out at a restaurant or at someone's house for a dinner. So the fact that this napkin is rolled up indicates that Jesus is planning to return, that his work is not yet finished. And it's likely most indicative of the fact that He is raised from the dead, will be appearing again to his disciples, as of course later happens in John's Gospel, the next chapter. But likewise, it may also be indicative of the fact that he'll return again, as we say in the Nicene Creed, to judge the living and the dead. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, we discussed one of the Sunday Matins Gospel readings found in John 20. We began with Father Aaron clarifying his comment about understanding the Gospels as literature and its implications. When we speak about the Gospels as literature, we are not saying that the Gospels are not divinely inspired, but rather are a special type of literature in which God has chosen to reveal himself. We then discuss the use of anonymity by John in his Gospel. In doing so, John allows the reader to insert themselves into the story and to emulate his zeal to reach the tomb first, and the trust in God he demonstrates by his belief in the resurrected Lord. Also of interest in today's reading is the apparent ignorance of Peter and Paul of the Scriptures, which Father explained was simply an improper interpretation of Psalm 15, rather than their unfamiliarity with the text. Since Jesus was not at all what people expected in a Messiah, we can see that the apostles in our reading were not unlike most Jews at the time of Jesus. Finally, we discussed the details of the napkin being rolled up in a place by itself. Father explained that this was an ancient custom, And when a napkin was rolled up and left at the table, it indicated your intent to return. And so we can better understand that this napkin was indicative of Jesus rising from the dead and appearing to the disciples. And it may also point to the fact that Jesus will return again to judge the living and the dead. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.